0: Welcome to Faith Out Front, where faith and athletics take the stage. Each and every week you will tune in and hear stories of prominent figures within our communities sharing how faith has played a dramatic part in their lives and athletics. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the Faith Out Front podcast.
1: Thank you, Nobles. Well done as always. We're excited to be here once again. Episode 5 of Faith Out Front. Again, if you haven't had a chance to listen to The previous interviews, you can go to clevelandfca.org, click on our What's Happening, and listen to some other great Faith Out Front podcasts. We are delighted to have our beloved chaplain of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Pastor Jerry Birch, joining us today. And as we were already talking offline, we're thrilled to be able to hear him put his faith out front. And Pastor Birch, as we've talked before with other attendees, that it's always good to know that for someone to put their faith out front, that means they need to have faith. Can you kind of unpack a little bit about how you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and just tell us a little bit about the life story of Pastor Birch and how you even come to a place where you can put your faith out front?
2: Well, I'll try to be brief. Um, At at 69, uh, I have, uh, you know, a a long story, uh, and I'm a preacher, so, you know, I love to talk. Uh, but I, I've been blessed from, uh, from before, uh, yeah, as the Lord, uh, you know, knitted me in my mother's womb. I had great parents. Uh, I had a great life growing up. Um, my parents are West Indian immigrants. My father's from Barbados. My mother's from Dominican Republic. Uh, I was born to them in middle age. Uh, they met in New York City, uh, where they immigrated to as young people. Uh, but for some strange reason, they moved to Cleveland in the late 40s. And I was born in 1951, two days before my father's 51st birthday. And so my parents were wise. Uh, Like most immigrants, they were focused uh, on achievement. And so, uh, you know, they were very protective of me. I grew up on 80th and Cedar, 80th off of Cedar, in what's now called Fairfax. And although I lived in the hood, if you looked at some of the pictures of my home, you'd think I lived in Shaker Heights. Uh, That's My mother was a, a seamstress. And, uh, uh, you know, kind of an interior designer. We had fresco on the lamps and doilies underneath and Queen Anne furniture and, and all that sort of thing. But uh, I grew up in church in St. James AME Church on 84th and Cedar. I accepted the Lord uh, in Sunday school when I was really young. Uh, but when I, by the time I got to my late 20s, had I died, uh, which I should have, uh, uh, my obituary would have read Accepted Christ at an early age, and that's it, because there was no evidence of my faith otherwise. By the time I get to my late twenties, uh, you know, I, I met my wife in Chicago uh, while I was in graduate school. Uh, turns out she's from Cleveland. I went to East Tech, she went to Kennedy, but we met on the South Side of Chicago in 1973, and uh, we, um, uh, you know, uh, met, fell in love, got married the next year when she graduated undergrad. Uh, moved back to Cleveland in 75, had our first baby in 75. I started a corporate career uh, at Standard Oil, Price and all this corporate stuff. Uh, by the time we get to 1979, we've got two kids, a mortgage. I'm an absolute fool because when I got to college after I stopped playing basketball, I got into drugs, alcohol, and sex. Like, you know, 90% of uh, that's that's what was going on. I, was, I think we invented marijuana in the 70s. That's, that's what it felt. But all this came to, to a head uh, as my life came crashing down, uh, knowing that I belonged to the Lord, uh, not recognizing, not acknowledging him in any of my ways, much less all of my ways. Um, my life began to melt down. The Lord began to strip me of everything. Uh, my career crashed. Uh, my wife was ready to leave me, and she would have been biblically uh, justified, had she done so, Uh, and uh, I I was always a well-dressed, well-educated, well-spoken fool. And when um, uh, my wife got so uh, discouraged, so distraught, uh, so hurt, uh, I never abused her emotionally, but just my my other actions just... So she ran the church. I've discovered that most churches are full of women because they're driven there by men. (laughs) <laughs> I drove my wife back to church, and like the prodigal son, uh, I woke up in the pig pen and came to my senses, and prodigal means wasteful. Uh, you know, I was wasting everything the Lord had given me. He'd given me the a, 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 a cre- tremendous blessing from the family to the education. I had full scholarships to all my schools and had great jobs and was a pioneer and a beneficiary of affirmative action and just, just running the table, couldn't miss a shot. Uh, but I wasn't playing his game. I was playing mine. And so um, when I ran back into this little storefront church on 131st Street in Mount Pleasant, the Holy Trinity Baptist Church, uh, trying to win my wife back, that's when the Lord uh, arrested me and took me to permanent custody. Uh, I began taking uh, the new members class and, and I really began to understand the gospel uh, uh, and, you know in its entirety. Uh, I took some great, I you know, started going to Sunday school and then I had this notion that the Lord was calling me to be a preacher. I'm like, that's crazy. you know I've never won I never had aspired uh, to be a pastor. Uh, in fact, somebody um uh, joined our church a, a few years ago and we have a bio of our who's ever preaching that day on the back of a bulletin and if you look at my bio, you know it says, you know dartmouth College. he's an Ivy League graduate, University of Chicago business school, you know this that and the other and and so uh, this guy uh, is, a, is a physician and he's like, so how did you become a <laughs> how did you become a preacher you know uh, and i and this came out of my mouth uh, and it's the truth uh all I did simply was in nineteen eighty one I began to walk in the light I just began to walk in the light and the, and the light led me to the pulpit that's all I can tell you uh even as a pastor now uh, of abundant grace fellowship i never aspired to be uh, a lead pastor i was perfectly happy being a wing guy Uh, but every time i was a wing guy the the captain uh, got annoyed at whatever i was doing on the wing and kicked me out the planes (laughs) and so you know so here i am but it's it's but i'm exactly what god wants me to be and uh that gives me comfort every night before i go to
1: sleep so that's that's the thumbnail Wow. Pastor Birch, that's the thumbnail. We want to hear the rest of the story. That is profound. And how appropriate that the name of the church you pastor is Abundant Grace, because as I was listening, as we were listening to your story, it's clear that God has bestowed upon you, as he does his children, Abundant Grace. And we're really pumped that you're walking in the light. And Nobles, I'm sure as you were hearing that story get unpacked, you were resonating in many ways.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Pastor Birch, thank you for what um, you share with all of our listeners, you were talking about a point in your life where you literally were stripped of everything. You have full rise to the schools that you, you wanted to go to and, you know, a promising career and um, probably had a decent amount of income coming in, um, but it's that stripping that really brings us to our knees, you know, and it causes us to recognize God for who he is, whether we wanted to or not. <laughs> so um, truly appreciate you uh, you being that open and transparent. Um, you, you shared about your uh, um, marriage, you have children, but talk to us a little bit about um, your journey to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, you know, you went through the period of, you know, not really walking with God. Now you're walking with God, have been doing so for quite some time, and um, you serve in such a phenomenal capacity with one of our uh, sports teams here in Cleveland. Talk to us a little bit about your journey to becoming the chaplain, and what's that experience been like for you?
2: Well, you know, that, that question gets asked uh, often when uh, people find out that, uh, you know, you're the chaplain for the Cavaliers. How, how did you get to be the chaplain? And, you know, uh, the last few years, uh, the NBA chaplains have had the blessing of being able to come together uh, in one place. Uh, uh, Bill Houston at our Daily Bread has been instrumental in helping us, uh, you know, fund a, a day where we all gather together at the Daily Bread headquarters in Grand Rapids. And so we've been able to compare notes. Many of us have been uh, in our teams for 15, 20 years or more, probably about at least a half dozen of us. And, and our stories are almost identical. Uh, we didn't uh, campaign. We didn't ask. Uh, we didn't look to become a chaplain, a sports chaplain. Uh, God found us. I, I was a member of a fledgling church in Cleveland uh, when it first got started, New Community Bible Fellowship, had about thirty members, and uh, I was one of the um, uh, associate pastors and elders, and and one of the uh, founding members was a guy named Anthony Pleasant. And you guys, being in the sports world, know AP. Uh, defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. I think it was all pro in 95. And, and uh, his gift is evangelism. Uh, uh, AP is one of those guys who cannot not talk about Jesus. You can talk about uh, uh, what's your favorite cheese or if you like armadillos, but before long, he will get you back. He, he just starts talking about Jesus. And so he invited us out. There were only a few, a few men in the church at that time. And he invited us out to a Bible study at his house. Uh, And uh, one of the persons he also invited was Tom Petersburg, who was on staff with AIA. And at that time, just like maybe 96, 97, uh, he was uh, the sports chaplain for the Cavaliers, as well as the Browns, as well as the Indians. Uh, That was his full-time job. Uh, And as time went along, as we met in Bible study and began to talk afterwards, uh, we began to form a relationship. And... uh, Uh, He asked me to do a guest chapel for, I think the first one I did was for a visiting NFL team. Uh, And then uh, the next, uh, that summer, he asked me to do a a chapel for the Indians. Uh, And then that fall, he said, you know, um, uh, I could use a little help with the Cavs. Would you mind, you know, doing a couple of chapels? And so that first season, I probably did maybe a couple, two or three chapels. Uh, The next season, he said, you know, Jerry, uh, I know you love the Lakers. So, you know, uh, when the Lakers, why don't you do the Lakers Chapel? And, you know, by the way, if you want to do some more chapels, man, just, you know, just just take what you want. And that went on for a couple of seasons. By the third season, I'm probably doing maybe a dozen chapels out of 41 dates. And after about three seasons, Tom asked me, he said, Jerry, I want you to pray about uh, taking over the whole uh, Cavs Chapel ministry next season. Uh, And as I I have a a little book um, that I I wrote, it's a compilation of uh, my chapel notes over the last couple of years. And as I write in that that intro, that was the shortest prayer of my life. It's like, why don't you pray about this? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) You know, because when you're, one of the things, uh, um, Oswald Chambers in his devotional, uh, My Utmost for His Highest, uh, I'm paraphrasing one of his comments, but he says, you know, when you're in the will of God, when you're, when you're prayed up and you're good, uh, you're seeking his face, you know, you're doing what he wants you to do. Uh, sometimes, you don't you don't really have to pray about stuff because if, if, if something comes forward uh, and you move into it, it's most likely the will of God anyway. Uh, and if it's not, don't worry about it. He'll check you. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's how I, uh, that was my first full season was the 99-2000 season. And um, so now I think I've got, uh, I've come up on 20, 21, 21 seasons. And it's, it's been, it's been an amazing experience. The camp, first of all, the Cavaliers have all, the organization has always been tremendously supportive. You know, they've given, uh, given me full access uh, to the locker room. Uh, you know, uh, the, the access and connection kind of ebbs and flows based on uh, coaches and players. Uh, when Byron Scott was a coach, uh, he was a believer. Uh, and not to say that the others weren't, but he was a, a, an aggressive uh, believer. And he had asked me uh, to come into the locker room p- prior to uh, the team taking the floor to have a final prayer. Uh, and, um, you know, some of the players that, um, uh, you know, when we had our championship run, uh, you know, James Jones and Richard Jefferson, uh, just tremendous, tremendous brothers in the Lord. And uh, I discovered that. Uh, my, my job basically is to feed those who come to chapel uh, and give them water to carry back to the team, spiritual water to feed the team with. And, um, you know, there have been great seasons. There have been other seasons where it's been kind of dry. But I've all, Lord has always had at least one player come to chapel faithfully. Uh, a couple of years, all I had, uh, I well, oh, hope Drew Gooden. Drew Gooden was my only guy for a couple of years. Uh, a guy named uh, Andrew Declerc uh, back in the day. Early on was one of my only guys. Uh, but now, uh, these last couple of seasons, uh, it's really been good. The young guys are really responsive. Um, I don't really want to mention any names currently uh, because it's really kind of private. You know, I don't, you know, it's like so who goes to who goes to church? It's none of your business. Why don't you come to church and find out? <laughs> but yeah, we have a great, great group of guys, great group of coaches. And, um, you know, it is. And plus, the other thing that's evolved uh, from uh, all of our chaplains around the league is that not only do we minister to the team, uh, but we uh, subsequent to chapel, we, we uh, walk around the arena, minister to security, hospitality, you know, other team personnel. Uh, and it's really a ministry. When I first started out, I might carry maybe 20 copies of our chapel notes. Now we're up to like 70. And uh, that's about all I can handle because if I, if I, after I hand out 70, I'm ready to go home, not, not, not even watch the game. But let me also say this because uh, a lot of people wonder, so how does chapel work? Uh, in, the, in the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, I have different rhythms, uh, different cultures. Uh, in Major League Baseball, uh, there's a lot of downtime. And uh, this, the modern stadiums have these massive clubhouses for both the visiting team and the home team. And the chapel happens maybe a few hours before the game. If the first pitch is 7.05, we'll probably have a chapel about 3.30. Uh, you'll do a chapel for in the uh, home clubhouse. And it's all voluntary. They'll give you a room or uh, a meeting room. And whoever wants to come in can come in. And then you'll do the same thing for the visiting team in their clubhouse. Uh, in the NFL, uh, uh, every team uh, is staying at a hotel the night before the game. Even the Browns, when they play at home, Uh, They stay in the Hyatt. Uh, They've got a lot of meeting rooms down there, so you'll go down to chapel Saturday night before uh, the Sunday game. Uh, You'll go to the visiting team uh, and do the same thing on on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday night. But in the NBA, everything is so bang, bang. Uh, uh, The uh, chapel occurs uh, about an hour before game time uh, when the event clock, which is the time clock on the scoreboard, uh before the game starts they set that at 90 minutes and it's 90 minutes before the horn blows and so if it's a uh, if it's a seven o'clock tip-off uh the horn actually blows about 7:05, i think but anyway so we have uh, a green room the Cavs have always uh given us a venue even if they have to move it sometimes because as you go deeper in the playoffs you have more and more media and less and less room to accommodate folk i mean when we did the finals uh, with Golden State, uh, we at uh, the only venue left, all the other rooms were taken ESPN or, or somebody taking my green room. Uh, we go to the Monsters Hockey Locker Room. I, I think NBA needed that to do some re, uh, remote uh, uh, B roll stuff. And, and then uh, the only venue left was the weight room. And so we found ourselves sitting on weight benches, and, and you know, Golden State, uh, uh, they always, uh, Golden state has ten ten guys come to chapel wherever they are. It's amazing uh and uh but yeah so they but we have fifteen minutes from from sixty on the clock till forty five we have fifteen minutes to do our thing and then we have to release the guys because they have to get back into their locker rooms uh for final instructions and um then after that we just kind of you know walk and minister and encourage and pray and hand out chapel notes and and um it's turned into a tremendous uh, opportunity for the Lord.
1: You know, Pastor Birch has a great question, Nobles, and a fantastic answer. And as you were sharing, the word platform just kept coming back into my heart, how God has given you such a remarkable platform. And for athletes and coaches at all levels, what a platform, because often with athletics comes leadership and influence. And it makes me think that our vision is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. You mentioned Drew Gooden, you mentioned Anthony Pleasant, you mentioned Coach Byron Scott. Can you share some specific testimonies over these 20 plus years, where you've seen the platform of faith and sports combined through these athletes and coaches that you might want to share, especially during a time where with COVID-19 and all the difficulties we're facing, people are looking to be inspired. Any inspiring testimonies through the platform that you've been able to serve in faithfully that you'd want to share?
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting because um, there's some guys that come to mind that didn't play with the Cavs. Well, actually, well, well, ask Kevin Ollie. Kevin Ollie has an amazing story because Kevin Ollie um, was one of those point guards that you could trust uh, not to mess up. So he, he would, you know, he wouldn't take over a game, uh, but if you, you know, if you needed to, to you know, put your finger in the dike uh, to, to rest up your guys. You put him out there. He's, you know, and so the I think the Cavs gave him his first big contract. But Kevin Ollie played with like ten or eleven teams, and he played with some teams twice. Uh, and but Kevin Ollie was one of the strongest, most vocal, yet humble believers that ever played in the NBA. And when I looked at his career, people would say, "Well, you know, man, he kept getting traded and kept getting traded." But that's what God, because here's what, Kevin Lally was like this. You know, when they're on the road and, uh, you know, they got their favorite cities, their favorite restaurants, their favorite spots, uh, Kevin would rarely go out. And he would say, he would tell the guys, well, you, you know where I'm going to be. If you guys want to come in and chop it up or have a Bible study, I'll be in my room. And, and he was a, 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 the evangelist on every team he ever played on. And, and so the Lord used Kevin to pollinate the league with the gospel and every trade he made. In fact, every, every team, when Kevin left Cleveland, I forget the order where he went, but wherever – and Kevin, for the next two or three years, each year came back with a different team. But every team he was with, the prior year, maybe one guy may have come to chapel when they visited Cleveland. If Kevin Ollie was on the team, half the team came. And, and see, that that's, that's – but the, the Kevin Ollies, you know, uh, it's very uh, – uh, challenging, difficult, these are young guys. You know, Kevin Olley was a veteran. You know, Michael Red was raised by a preacher. He was very vocal. Uh, you know, uh, David Robinson, uh, another, uh, used his platform well. Uh, but the league has gotten so young, you know, and you're talking about guys who are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, with immense amounts of pressure uh, trying to stick and stay and, and, uh, and achieve and grow in their profession. Uh, plus, they, they've got all these other, you know, moving parts in their life uh, and the finances to do it. Uh, and then they're also learning about the Lord. And we all know that unless you have a special gift of evangelism, you know, it takes time for people to grow into their role. You know, it's interesting to see in the bubble. You know, I just know, that I'm you know, I'm, I'm a huge LeBron fan, so I, I don't care who he plays with. I'm watching him. I'm cheering for him. That's my man. It's interesting to note that in the bubble now, the, because all the players now, to whatever extent they've realized they've had a platform, uh, many have not had a voice or, or an issue. Now, now we have an issue, they realize your voice, so they've got all these different things on their uniforms. And I think that's cool. I, I, I'm, I'm loving it. But I noticed LeBron didn't have anything on the back of his uniform. He had no uh, Black Lives Matter. He had no, all he had was 23 and Jane. And I believe the reason for that is LeBron is already, I've said what i got to say. You know where I stand. You don't have to, I don't need anything on the back of my, my, you know, if you want to know what I think, you know, check out my social media, check out, check out the, you know, the, 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 the journal, you know, the archives of of my journalistic content. Uh, You know, LeBron is, LeBron is a believer, you know, um, but you know, everybody doesn't have that calling. Everybody doesn't have that courage. You know, because one of the things we all know is that when you declare to the, in the public square that you stand for Jesus, then uh, the whole world is watching. More, more often, they're not ready, wait, waiting for you to fail. So they can say your God is no good. Uh, and unless you're ready for that, especially when your life is kind of raggedy at the edges, you know, you're not really going to want to put your faith out front.
0: We hope you enjoyed part one of our exciting interview with Pastor Jerry Birch, chaplain of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Be sure to catch us right here next week for the exciting conclusion to this phenomenal interview on the Faith Out Front podcast. God bless.